What if you had just one last chance to leave your mark? Just imagine me with, a, with me for a moment. What, what if you had poured your, your entire life into say, a movement or perhaps a company, a university, maybe even a, a country, and you were about to retire, step back, perhaps coming to the end of your life, what would, what would your parting words be? What would your final directive sound like? Well, I think you'd want to remind those coming after you, those who were taking the reins, as it were, remember, this is our vision. Continue in our guiding principles. Remain true to our identity. And, and there would need to be something distinct from you, separate from you, something you could leave behind as a guide, a manual, to give direction after you're gone, and to continue to remind them after you're no longer there of their core values. Well, this morning we're going to hear the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, giving his final charge for the young pastor Timothy, but really for the church. This, this Christian movement that he had invested, spent himself, he had given his everything to build and to establish the church. So just by way of a little bit of review, a little bit of context, last Sunday we were in the first section of, of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. And, and in that section, Paul gave Timothy a warning, this young pastor uh, in Ephesus, he gave this really sobering prediction of, of just self-centeredness and ungodliness that was going to mark the last days. And, and last days really was describing this present age between Christ's first and second coming. But then as a stark contrast to all these ungodly people, Paul called Timothy to something entirely different. He called him to continue following his teaching, his godly conduct, his patience, his love. And then in the, in the final verse, last Sunday in verse 13, he went into yet another warning. And he, he, he predicted, he promised that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this, this pattern of a warning and then a contrast, a sharp contrast. You, however, are not to be that way. And so this morning, as we're going to be finishing up chapter 3 and then proceeding into the opening five verses of chapter 4, what we're going to see is Paul follows up that, that little warning in verse 13, saying that people would get worse, there'd be all this deception, with yet another contrast. And often he uses the words in our English translations, as for you, he marks out a better path, an alternative for Timothy, what he should do instead and then really in the heart or the, the focal point of this morning's passage, Paul's going to give this great directive, this final charge, this thesis statement. And that's going to be followed up by yet another warning and another contrast. So we're going to read our passage. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, you can find it on page 996 in the blue pew Bibles there, but I'm actually going to start reading back in verse 12 just to kind of set up the context again, that warning which leads into another contrast, as for you, Timothy. So, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. 
Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So I think what, what we, what we kind of see as an overarching theme, as an overarching idea in this passage, is, is Paul, Paul is telling Timothy, though people will go from bad to worse, there's the warning, though people will go from bad to worse, you remain steadfast and alert. You remain steadfast and alert. And Why? Because you know that God's word has power for salvation and godliness. So again, even though people will go from bad to worse, you, Timothy, remain steadfast and alert, knowing that God's word has power for salvation and godliness. I think we're going to see that as we kind of walk through this text. Now, as we go through, we're actually going to do a little bit of a different structure today, but we're going to focus, first of all, on these, these warnings and then these contrasting alternatives that, that Paul gives to Timothy. This pattern of a warning and a contrast where he says to Timothy, as for you, we're going to focus on those first and see how, again, people will go from bad to worse, but Timothy, on the other hand, must remain steadfast and alert. And then we'll, we'll conclude with kind of the firm foundation, the the power behind all true and faithful ministry that's revealed in Paul's central thesis, this final charge to Timothy, which is that God's word has power for salvation and godliness. So first, let's look at these warnings and contrasts. The first warning, remember, was back in verse 13, where Paul says, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So again, the, the general idea here is that people will continually get worse. Things are going to deteriorate. But notice a couple of details. There are evil people, but also imposters. These are the false teachers. These are the ones who oppose the truth, oppose Paul and his gospel. And then Paul also describes this pattern of both deceiving and being deceived. So not only will, will evil and ungodly people deceive others and lead them astray, but they often end up believing their own lies. As one commentator puts it, they begin by being seducers and end in being dupes. 
and the dupes very often of their own deceptions, for deceit commonly leads to self-deceit. And this is a really good reminder that, that merely being sincere in your beliefs or your good intentions is not enough. Sincerity doesn't guarantee that what you're promoting and teaching is true and right. Just because you genuinely believe you have the answers that everyone else needs to hear, it doesn't mean your life or your ministry is godly and aligned with Jesus Christ. But there is a true standard. There's a straight and narrow path, and it's essential that every Christian steadfastly remain on that path. And so that's why Paul presents Timothy with this contrast. It's not to be this way with you, Timothy. He gives an alternative to the evil and the self-deception in verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The key word there in verse 14 is continue. Timothy must continue immovable, not swayed by winds of change, but holding fast to that good deposit, to the gospel of Christ. And it's the gospel that he has not only learned, but firmly believed. You know, Paul here, he exhorts Timothy, and he uses this word, continue. The apostle John uses the word abide, really, in much the same way. So in, in 2 John 9, John writes, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So how can Timothy continue? How can he abide in what he's learned? Well, first of all, because in verse 14, he knows from whom he has learned it. Now, this whom in the Greek is, is plural, so it's not referring just to one individual, but to, to a, a number of people. And so this would certainly include his mother and grandmother. Uh, we, we learned back in, in, first, in 2 Timothy 1.5 that there was a sincere faith in Timothy, but it dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And then even here in, in uh, 3.15, it says that Timothy has been taught from childhood. But also, of course, these people would include the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's been, back in, in uh, 2 Timothy 1.13, there's been this pattern of sound words that Timothy has heard from Paul. There's this good deposit that Paul has entrusted to Timothy. Now, like Timothy... Many of us here today have, have faithful believers uh, in our lives who taught us God's Word. Perhaps they were Sunday school teachers or pastors here in this very church. Perhaps it was your parents or your grandparents, again, like Timothy. Maybe you were discipled by an elder or a pastor or another church member who, who got together with you just to, to study God's Word together or or to read through a book on the basics of the Christian life and the Christian faith. And now, now you are a life group leader or an elder or a deacon or a Bible study leader yourself, and you're now discipling others. That is the beauty of, of community in the body of Christ. 
But if you've never had that kind of experience, if, if you've never had, you can't really point to, to, to a particular mentor or a mother or father figure who discipled you, certainly I, I do hope and pray that you can find that. I would, I would encourage you, if that's something you're seeking, talk to one of the elders here or one of the pastors to have them try to, to help you find that or, or just approach someone that you, that you know, that you admire, and ask them if they could meet with you for discipleship. But I don't want anyone to go away this morning and think that when Paul says these words, knowing from whom you learned it, uh, that they somehow don't apply to you because you haven't had a certain life experience. You see, when Paul writes those words, knowing from whom you've learned it, the whom certainly can in include Timothy's family members. It can include Paul, who had this relationship with Timothy as a son in the faith. But th this whom also refers to Paul in his role as an apostle, as, as an apostle who was chosen and commissioned by Jesus himself. An apostle to whom Christ had entrusted the gospel message, and Paul had faithfully handed that gospel down to Timothy so that Timothy could teach it to others. Paul had a, a unique and, and, and unrepeatable role to play in the establishing of the early church, not only the early church, not only of, of Christian doctrine, but of the New Testament itself. So Timothy had served alongside Paul. He knew that his teaching had authority and it had the stamp of God's approval. And Timothy understood that the apostolic teaching, along with the Old Testament scriptures, that was the foundation of the church. And so, brothers and sisters, how much more do we today have Paul's gospel? It's been carefully and faithfully handed down through the centuries, through the careful preservation and the wide distribution of Paul's letters and the gospels, the book of Acts, the other apostolic writings. This is the word that is preached by the church, preached by God's faithful servants throughout every generation. So every Christian, regardless of your, your experience, every Christian knows from whom they learned the gospel. Because they learned it from Paul and Peter and James and John. They learned it from, from the Bible, the sure testimony of close associates of Jesus Christ. Men who were eyewitnesses to his resurrection, who were authorized to teach and to explain and to write this gospel down for future generations. And so Timothy must continue in what he's learned because he knows from whom he learned it. Not only family and, and, and people in his life who, who loved him and, and invested in him, but also he learned it from authoritative sources. And then secondly, he must continue because, in verse 15, from childhood, and some translations actually say from infancy, he's been instructed in the sacred writings which are able to make a person wise for salvation through faith in Christ. What are these sacred writings here? Well, this would be the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament. Paul's going to use a different word in verse 16 to refer to scripture. But this term, sacred writings, clearly 
would be referring to the Old Testament, especially because those are the only scriptures that Timothy could have been taught from a young age. There would have been really no uh, New Testament compiled or even writings available when he was very young. But what Paul's getting at here in this, in this verse is just that, that perfect harmony between the apostolic teaching about Jesus Christ, Paul's gospel, the deposit that he's given to Timothy, and then the Hebrew scriptures that Timothy grew up hearing. Those sacred writings foretold and foreshadowed and pointed to Christ. And they were able to make Timothy wise for salvation through faith in Christ. As one preacher has put it, the Old Testament is, is promises made, and the New Testament is promises kept. And, and this is exactly what, what the Apostle Paul said before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. As he's testifying, he says, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And there's so much here that should encourage us. Just consider what God's word is able to do. It can make someone wise for salvation. It can bring a person the knowledge of the truth that is necessary for saving faith. You know, the role of God's word is so powerful and so fundamental that Peter can write in 1 Peter 1.23 to, to the church and say, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Now, Scripture itself does not save us. Salvation is through faith in Christ, Paul writes here in our passage. Scripture is able to make us wise, to prepare and lead us to faith. And God's Word and His Holy Spirit together play a role in, in bringing forth that saving faith in us. And I also want to just make a brief word of, of encouragement and thanks just to everyone who serves in our nursery, our children's church, in, in Thrive, the student ministry, in VBS, just all of the various kids and student ministries here at South Canyon Baptist Church. You know, Paul says that Timothy was acquainted with Scripture from childhood. And again, the, the, the NIV, the CSB translations actually translate this from infancy. So when God's Word is permeating the teaching and the instruction that you are giving to these young ones, you are planting seeds that God is able to cultivate and grow up into saving faith. You're sowing something so potent, so, so powerful, a gospel truth, and God can bring about a harvest that will change lives for eternity. So thank you for your ministry, even, even to the babies and the infants. And please do not grow weary in doing good. Remember our Lord said, let the little children come to me. You are doing a good work. I just want to encourage you and affirm that. Now, as we've said, there are these, these warnings and these contrasts that Paul gives. We just looked at one. There's another one 
uh, down in chapter 4 that parallels the one we just looked at. Now, in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.13, the warning was things will get worse as deception abounds. Now, down in, in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, in this other warning, it's, the warning is that things will get worse as people refuse to listen to the truth. So let's look at this parallel warning and what Paul has to say to Timothy. He warns in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So the warning here, I think, really serves two purposes for us. Like Timothy... We should expect this to be the case as we seek to to share Christ, to proclaim Christ to others. The gospel will not be popular. It will offend many because it convicts of sin. It teaches that, that following our own hearts, pursuing our natural desires according to our own wisdom, it leads, that leads us to sin against others and to break God's law. And so then incur the wrath of a holy God. Gospel truth insists that we cannot save ourselves by our own merit, by our own works. But rather we must humble ourselves and accept the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So we should not be surprised when people will not endure the sound teaching. When they turn away from truth and wander into myths. And when they collect teachers for themselves that who will tell them what they want to hear. And so, what that requires of us is that we resist the temptation to sugarcoat the gospel, to downplay the difficult parts. We must begin with the message of a holy God and our plight as guilty sinners if anyone is to rightly understand and embrace Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord. I think Paul's warning here serves a second purpose. Not only we should expect this, we should be prepared, not be surprised, but also we must guard ourselves, that we not become one of these people who cannot endure the truth, these people with itching ears. Consider your intake of of spiritual instruction, teaching, whether it comes through books, sermons online, podcasts, social media accounts, whatever it might be. Just ask yourself, why are you drawn to certain voices? Is it because they plainly teach biblical truth? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not automatically bad if a teacher encourages you or or makes you feel better. No, the question is, do they make you feel better because they remind you that all your sins are forgiven through Christ, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in you, giving you the power and the ability to grow in godliness? Or do they make you feel better because they minimize sin, or they they promise you a life of blessing free from suffering or need? Are you drawn to to certain teachers because they, they pressure you to adhere to particular rules or standards. And then doing that makes you feel superior to other Christians and and feel that that God favors you. 
See, these things can be so subtle, but we need to guard ourselves so that we do not wander from the truth. So Paul gives this other warning, and then his exhortation in verse 5, again, is the contrast to Timothy. Don't wander from the truth like these people, but you, as for you, verse 5, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy needs to be sober-minded, alert, not allowing himself to become apathetic or slothful or half asleep. No, he must also be willing to endure suffering because standing firm on the truth without compromise is certain to bring opposition and persecution. And he must do the work of an evangelist. Paul doesn't explain here exactly what this looks like. Certainly, that involves sharing the good news of Jesus with unbelievers in all kinds of situations. And that's something that that all Christians are commanded to do. We have the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations. And although some are especially gifted as evangelists, for instance, in Ephesians 4.11, that gift is, is listed. It's not even clear here whether Timothy had the gift of, a, of an evangelist. Paul says just you need to do the work of an evangelist, whether you have the gift or not. But even though some may be especially gifted this way, perhaps those individuals would be especially effective and fruitful in their evangelism, but also have the ability to help train and equip others in that work. But, but the task is for all Christians, it's for all of us. And considering the context here and what Paul is talking about, considering the backdrop, he may have in view even that the work of an evangelist needs to happen in the context of the church. Since so many people are tempted to wander from truth and, and fall prey to various myths and distortions, there is a need for evangelism within the walls of the church. The reality is there are people who, who sit in the pews of our churches who maybe have spent years in the church and yet still need the true gospel message to break through and bring about conversion, and true repentance and faith, and a new heart. And that only happens by the miraculous power of God. And, and that, might be, that might be you today. And you know what? It, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're 7 or 17 or 87. Don't, don't let embarrassment or shame hold you back. What, what counts is not the past. What counts is not how long you've been in the church and yet not truly been born again. What counts is today. What counts is today is the day of salvation. You can, you can reach out even right now in this moment and, and submit yourself to, to believing and accepting the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then if, if, if that's you, and if you've begun to take that step and you feel God has been working in your heart 
uh, you know, come and talk to me, talk to one of our elders. We'd love to just continue to come alongside you in that and continue to encourage and help you on that path. Now, as we've seen so far, Paul has these, these, these sober warnings, these dire warnings for Timothy, and then he pairs them with these strong exhortations to, to continue in the truth, to be steadfast, to be sober-minded and alert. But the centerpiece of our passage this morning is Paul's final charge, this thesis statement that he gives to Timothy, and that begins in, in 316. So let's turn to that now. In verse 16, chapter 3, we have the thesis and the charge. So verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul's great thesis statement here in verses 16 and 17 is, is central, it's foundational to the case that he's making to Timothy. And he says, all scripture is marked by, by two characteristics. It is God-breathed and it is profitable. So first, just we need to consider when Paul says all Scripture. So he uses a different word here. He uses uh, the, word, the Greek word graphe. It's different than the one he used back in verse 15 to refer to the sacred writings. But he also makes this distinction, all Scripture. Now it seems Paul has in mind both the sacred writings, what we would call the Old Testament, as well as that, that pattern of sound words, that good deposit that Timothy has learned from Paul. What we have in our New Testament, the apostolic teaching, the gospel. But we do have to step back for a moment and just consider, would Paul really have been so audacious as to assign scripture status to his own letters or, or to other writings by apostles or people who were closely associated with the apostles? Now, admittedly, there was a process, and it took, it took some time for, for all the books in, in what we have in our New Testament, first to be written, because they weren't all written at the same time, some came much later than others, and then for those writings to be shared and distributed among the churches, as we even see in many of these letters, send this, have this read also in the other church that, that's nearby. But they were distributed, shared, they were compiled, and then recognized by the church at large as having that scriptural authority, that mark of authority, and having that apostolic stamp. But even as Paul is writing 2 Timothy, and as we look at some of the other writings the apostles did, there was already evidence among the New Testament authors that they were aware that new authoritative scripture was being written. So Paul himself, in his first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.18, he writes, for the scripture says, and then he first quotes from Deuteronomy, followed by a quote from Luke chapter 10, verse 7, saying that the laborer deserves his wages. 
the quote from Luke's gospel. And then Paul also, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he calls the message that he preached to the Thessalonian believers, he calls it the word of God, which you heard from us. And then Peter, in 2 Peter 3.16, he's, he's having this discussion about the letters of our beloved brother Paul. And then he says, and I love this, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. That's such an encouraging verse, isn't it? Uh, but he says, in the letters of our beloved brother Paul, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So we have Peter referring to Paul's letters in this category of scriptures. And we can also consider that Paul would instruct the churches to read his letters aloud in their public gatherings for worship, likely alongside Old Testament scripture readings. So, yes, all scripture means the Old and New Testament. And even as the apostles were still alive, they recognized and affirmed this to be true. And it's this scripture that is God-breathed, meaning it comes from God and carries his authority. Uh, the commentator and preacher John Stott, he writes, Scripture originated in God's mind and was communicated from God's mouth by God's breath or spirit. It is therefore rightly termed the word of God, for God spoke it. Indeed, as the prophets used to say, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And because it's God's authoritative word, it is profitable. It is effective for teaching what is true and correcting what is false. And it's effective for training in righteousness and helping a believer become complete, meaning to, to reach maturity and to be fully equipped for every good work. This is often called the sufficiency of Scripture. And the sufficiency of Scripture is just a term or a doctrine that describes the reality that the Bible is fully sufficient to tell us all we need for faith and godliness. And it's our final authority in matters of doctrine and moral behavior. It's the final authority to know the things that we must believe for salvation and also the things we should do to please God and to obey him. And so in light of this authoritative, God-breathed nature of Scripture, Paul gives his solemn charge to Timothy. And he, he really lays it down here. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who's returning to judge all people and establish his kingdom, Timothy is to preach the word. And again, it's, it's, it's Christ's opinion that matters. It's, it's Christ's kingdom that counts. It's, it's the judgment of Jesus Christ on that final day that Timothy has to live for. He has to have that in view. Not the judgment of false teachers, not the judgment of, of either faltering or faithful Christians, but the judgment of Christ. And this word is to be preached in season and out of season. Which means when it's convenient and when he feels ready and prepared, but also when it's inconvenient and unexpected. And then here's what the preaching of the word is able to accomplish. Paul says, it can reprove and rebuke and exhort. 
So God's word is profitable to reprove and correct wrong, unbiblical beliefs or, or sinful unbelief or doubt. It's also profitable to rebuke sinful behavior and ungodly habits. And it's profitable to exhort and to encourage those who are fearful or weak or struggling. And then notice at the, at the conclusion of, of those things, Paul says, with complete patience and teaching. So even the brother who needs to be confronted and rebuked for his sinful behavior, even, even the sister who, is, who has been duped by a false teacher and is straying from the truth, they're not to be bullied or pressured or shamed or humiliated or berated, pushed around. No, it's with patient teaching that they're to be corrected and restored. And it's not the, not the authority or the weight being thrown around by any leader or pastor. It's the authority of God's word as it's applied to teach with patience. And so, Christian, read this word, study this word, listen to it as it's faithfully preached and taught, and, and apply this word to your own heart and to your own life. And use it to, to encourage and help and serve your family and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because God's word was given to us for our good, to sustain us and guide us, to lead us not only to saving faith, but then also to godly maturity. I love the way the hymn, Speak, O Lord, describes, it paints this picture of how we as Christians ought to approach God's word. It says, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth Plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer, uh, that you speak to us. And we, we trust, we believe you have been speaking to us this morning, even through the, the songs, the prayers, the teaching of your word. And we pray you continue to speak to us in our gathering, in our fellowship together. And then as we go from here, as we are studying and meditating on your word, you continue to speak to us, guide us, shape us by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone here who, who has not fully understood and embraced and put their faith in the word, the truth of the gospel, I pray that they would, would do that even this morning. And they would begin that journey of following after Jesus Christ and being shaped into his likeness. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.